Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Keynes Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Coming up, a conversation with a beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, covering the Giants every day. Susan Slosser will be our guest after this from Keynes Tire. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Canes Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Canes has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Canes prices beat Costco's prices every time. Canes Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give them a call at 415 453 That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. Well, good morning, Susan. Thanks so much for joining me here on Inside China Basin to talk about the Giants. And, you know, it's funny, last night the Giants ended their uh, long winning streak at nine games. And I saw your tweet talking about how, you know, fans are already jumping on the Giants for losing a game finally. I mean, I don't know how you can do that, but uh, I think Giants fans certainly have been a little nervous with the Dodgers close in the rearview mirror, that's for sure. Yeah, I, you know, that that is the problem, right? Uh, neither team basically lost for a week and a half, and uh, the Giants lose one game, the Dodgers keep winning, but, you know, they still have a little bit of a lead. I've been saying for about a week here, we should all gear up for game 163, which I know makes fans nervous, but <laughs> man, as a sports writer, as a, anybody in the sports media, there are few things that are better than a Major League Baseball game 163. So I hope it happens. It would be at Oracle Park. I think that would be fabulous so um i'm not rooting for it right i mean you know i i I don't root period but uh that's that's a lot of excitement there the giants are going to the playoffs that's the main thing for giants fans to remember they've got a good team that kind of exceeded any time they hit any obstacles um so you know hey uh, we'll we'll see what happens that's the beauty of it yeah, I think everyone has to remember that at the beginning of the season, there's no way they would be in this position if you thought about what the experts were saying. So can you put your finger on why the Giants have shocked the experts and also why they don't seem to get the national respect? We talked about it on the podcast last week with George Contos that you know ESPN folks are still saying you know, the Dodgers have the better team. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers have a lot of stars. They have a lot of high-priced stars. The Giants have, you know, a few players that I think people are familiar with, but, you know, there's nobody that's like a, you know, a big personality or, you know, like has a lot of zing. You know, Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford are two, you know, I've covered a lot of good baseball teams um, over my sports writing career. Buster Posey is the best I've ever covered catching. And I covered Pudge Rodriguez for two years, and Buster Posey is right up there. Uh, I mean, it's, and he, you know, obviously Pudge Rodriguez is the Hall of Famer. So I uh, I don't know why those two certainly aren't kind of bigger deals nationally. They sh- certainly should be. But they're, I 
think this is a team that kind of likes a little bit going under the radar, playing like Crawford. Crawford loves playing with a chip on his shoulder. He absolutely says he's always sort of been overlooked throughout his career, and it really kind of spurs him on. I think this team is like that. But when you look at why they're good, we've all kind of been trying to figure that all year because, you know, again, you look at the rosters in the NL West and you go Dodgers, Padres, loaded. You look at the Giants and you go, there's some nice pieces here, but there are some big question marks. But, mm-hmm. you know, the things that jump out are, you know, the veteran guys, Crawford, Posey, Belt, you know, when, you know, certainly since he's come off the IL, um, they, they really had, uh, career years or close to career years and you know in their mid-30s pretty amazing yeah that to me is number one number two is the thing i think a lot of people would actually point to first the front office and all these savvy moves they've made you know just little things here and there you know from the the obvious one is lamont wade totally under the radar at the time the guy has been uh just i mean sensational for the for the giants just exactly what they need and turns out to be Incredibly clutch, you know. Bus, uh, Brandon Belt misses um, a month and a half, and Lamont Wade <laughs> fills in between him and Darren Ruff. They were better than most first basemen in the league. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's been an awful lot of things, um, and it's the chemistry. You know, the fact that all of these guys are willing to accept roles. This is a, you know, <laughs> it's funny because at the Chronicle we were talking about doing our little sort of playoff. Um, uh, special sections that we do. And typically you have something where uh, you kind of match up each team position by position. And my boss was like, oh, God, you know, like, what do we, like, who do we put for at this position for the Giants? Because it's like mm-hmm. three or four guys. Who do we put it to? And I was like, you know what? That's the beauty of this team. And we have to go, you know, second base, <laughs> Stella, Flores, Solano, you know, and put their combined numbers because you take all those combined numbers. And they have, they have great guys at pretty much every position. A scout was telling me that last night in the press box. He said they're very hard to scout because all of their guys are so good at their roles and they all seem to really perform well in those roles. It really does kind of make it like a team of a 26, 26 kind of stars when you combine them. But separately you go like, eh, you know, <laughs> probably the third best team in the division. Yeah, the, the sum of their parts. I mean, that, that's the beauty of this team, Susan. And you've been around a lot of well-constructed A's teams as far as chemistry. And, and that would be the one aspect of a team that you can't measure here in this uh, you know, era of analytics. Where, in your mind, does this Giants team ranked among the uh, teams that you've covered as far as the chemistry angle? Yeah, you know, um, they are right up there. They remind me a lot, in fact, of the 2012 A's team, which was a really special group. You know, Johnny Gomes, Petaluma's own, kind of from the beginning of spring training in 2012, um, took took an A's team that nobody expected anything from. They'd had a, you know, a bunch of very middling seasons under Bob Guerin. Bob Melvin had taken over halfway through the previous year. And Johnny Gomes said this team's going to win the division. And they did on the last day of the season, you know, beating a, a really stacked Rangers team. And that team had phenomenal chemistry, kind of out of nowhere, because it was a really strange mix of people. Um, this team reminds me of that. Now, it does not have some of the big, big personalities those ace teams had. There is not a Johnny Gomes. There's no Josh Donaldson or Jonas Cespedes or anybody like that. But um, in terms of chemistry and sort of surprisingness and belief 
confidence, just um, a willingness to do whatever it takes from everybody, bit players kind of coming up and contributing and going back down, really, really similar. And Farhan Zaidi was part of that 2012 team. Um, And honestly, I think his experience with those, the 12, 13, 14 A's playoff teams, I think informed some of maybe what he did. And I don't want to speak for him, but just from afar, he kept talking a lot about the tra- at the trade deadline this year about chemistry, which for a numbers guy, an analytics guy, that's always been anathema, right? Like uh, chemistry comes from winning. There's no, you can't quantify it. There's no such thing. Um, the A's in 2014, they were setting records for run differential. They were way out in front. They had seven all-stars. I mean, it was just extraordinary. They, you know, make a bunch of trades at the deadline, including Cespedes for John Lester, and that deal set them way back. They pulled, ripped out the heart of their lineup. The rest of the team kind of deflated. Uh, everyone else in the lineup lost sort of their mojo, and were, they were all pressing. It was clear Lester was never quite a fit, including in the wild card game. Even Gomes came back in that in that trade from Boston and kind of wasn't, you know, he wasn't a fit, which that's crazy. And I. Farhan saw that all happen, and there's no doubt that's what happened. And I, you know, I think that's a little bit of a. They didn't make any major. They didn't send out any major parts. They didn't trade any top prospects. They didn't bring in any big personalities. They brought in a guy, Chris Bryant, that Scott Harris, the Giants' GM, knows very well from Chicago. They brought back Tony Watson, who they know and love, and uh, I think that says a lot right there. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Watson, I mean, you knew he would fit in because he was already here. And with Bryant, that seemed like a no-brainer as well. It was pretty surprising that the Giants could get him. What's been your take just on how he's fit in, uh, the personality, and do you have any inkling as to whether or not he would stay? It seems like he really likes it here. Yeah, you know, I, I talked to him and I talked to his dad at length for a story last week. and I mean, what, they're just nice, solid people, you yeah. know? It just... Uh, 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 absolutely tried and true baseball family. Uh, Chris's dad was a Red Sox minor leader who learned everything about hitting from Ted Williams. I mean, what a pedigree there. I passed it along to Chris. Um, and just, you know, we saw the reception Chris Bryant got at Chicago and it was for a reason. It wasn't just because he was part of that, you know, amazing world series team there and what that did for the city. It was also him. And he showed exactly why that day he and his wife, Jessica brought in, hundreds and hundreds of cookies for all the stadium workers, the ushers, the security people, the concessionaires that, you know, had icing that said, you know, thanks for a wonderful seven years. I have covered sports for 33 years. I have never, ever heard of an athlete doing that for the behind the scenes people. And he didn't make that public. It was the workers who were on Twitter posting photos and saying, thanks. It wasn't something that he was doing for the glory or anything. He just did it because it was right. So, yeah, I'm big on Chris Bryant, and everything he said certainly indicates that he would very much like to return to San Francisco. You know, that's going to boil down to sheer contract numbers. His agent, Scott Boris. Scott is not one of those agents who is just going to go for the biggest money regardless. He is actually really a, a guy, I think, who wants to put his players in the best spot. But if you got somebody like Chris Bryant and you got a huge offer somewhere from a good team and you got an okay offer from another team from another place with a good team, he's going to go with a bigger offer. So um, that will be what it boils down to. But he loves San Francisco. He's talked a lot about how the Giants were one of his favorite teams and Barry Bonds was by far his favorite player. He told me he still has a Barry Bonds fathead in his childhood <laughs> home in Las Vegas. He's there all the time working out at the, the gym that, that's in their parents' house. 
So, um, yeah, he's uh, and he loves San Francisco and uh, it's genuine. He has said that consistently. And I this year, is you got to think if somebody's if it's going to put a soft spot in your heart um, with what this team is doing, this kind of, um, you know, the bond they have, the chemistry, the special things the team are doing, that's only going to help, too. So uh, I got to think, you know, it's a. I'm going to say a better than 50-50 chance, and that's actually pretty good. And, and you, as you know, I covered the A's for a long time, so the concept of bringing back <laughs> a big free agent to me is pretty crazy. So it takes it's a struggle for me to say that. But, um, yeah, I, I, think there's a, I think there's a decent chance. You mentioned the heart, and uh, one of the emotional parts, really, of this season coming in and during the season was, you know, what's going to happen with the three players that were part of the World Series teams? Uh, how will they play this year? Uh, all three, you know, were, were kind of not themselves in recent years, and would they end up staying with their contract situation? I want to go through each guy, starting with Brandon Crawford, who is an MVP candidate, there's no doubt, although nationally I don't think he's getting the love, but, I mean, he's in the top ten as far as batting average and hitting home runs and the defense. I mean, you've been uh, tweeting about this quite a bit. Uh, You didn't see him play every day previously, and now you are, and and the appreciation for that uh, has made him have just an unbelievable season, right? He's spectacular. Honestly, you know, I had seen him over the years in postseasons. I'd seen him in, um, you know, spring training. I'd seen him in interleague and, you know, the occasional game on TV if I was off. But when you watch Brandon Crawford every day, it's just I think the reason he's not appreciated is he makes every play and he doesn't make it look hard. You know, he's not like one of those kind of false hustle guys or anything (laughs) like that. He makes and he makes really difficult plays look easy. Mm -hmm. How many times have we seen him like kind of barehand a ball and spin and make a throw or make a backhand flip or something. And he just makes it look like it's totally normal. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, he, there's not like a lot of swagger or anything. He just does the job. And I think people just kind of overlook that. I'm an MVP voter. Um, I am strongly considering him for my top vote. I mean, he's absolutely in the race as far as I'm concerned. Now I see him every day. That makes a huge difference. And, you know, there are years where that happens. You'll get the two, voters from the city without the one player who has really elevated a team into contention who will vote for that guy and nobody else will. I hope that's not the case. I hope voters around the country are looking at what Brandon Crawford is doing and consider also the, you know, the position he's playing. My goodness. But yeah, you're right with the three. All we were writing coming into the season, all people were talking about on talk radio was, you know, there's so much money coming off the books after the season. Crawford's already earned an extension which again, having covered the A's, I nearly, my jaw dropped when I got that email. Um, and, you know, Posey, they've got an option for next year. At the very least, you know they would pick it up. And we, it's probably pretty easy to, to assume they would like to rework that deal. Um, Belt's the wild card because Lamont Wade and Darren Ruff, you combine them together and you got one of the league's best first basemen. So that might be the area where they still might think, hey, you know, we've got to trim some payroll or, you know, maybe we're, our assets are a better place than a starting pitcher, say, because all of their pitchers essentially are free agents, uh, except for Logan Webb. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's astonishing what the three of them are doing. And even with Belt missing so much time, you know, the guy has 25 home runs. Yeah. And he's the captain. He is the I captain. <laughs> love. I love that so much. And that's what I, ha- I do have to say when I was saying, like, you know, they don't have, like, any big personalities. It's funny because, I, you know, Belt is, I wouldn't say he's a big personality, but he is a personality. And I think it kind of, like, people don't always understand, right? He's so deadpan. I think it is absolutely hysterical. And the whole captain thing, 
killed me. I still think it's so funny, but a lot of people just did not get it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, he's making the C now when he does anything. And oh, it's just hilarious. I love it. Well, he didn't tell anybody beforehand. So you wondered what that was. I thought maybe it was in honor of somebody who had a first name that began with a C. And then you find out after. And you wonder with other teams or other sports how that might have played out. I mean, in the NFL, I would think that there would have been a fine or something. You know, you can't adjust your uniform. But but with Brandon, it just worked. And it kind of just, I, I think it speaks to his likability. What do you think? Yeah, and you know, at this time of year, Gabe Kapler mentioned this. Gabe thought it was hilarious, too. He said it was one of the funniest things he's ever seen a player do. Um, and, you know, to to to, uh, to kind of give a little bit of the backstory, Evan Longoria actually had put the C on it. He just didn't think he would wear it on the field, because who would? Um, which kind of makes it even funnier. He just rolled with it. Uh, and then he said it kind of kept slipping off during the game. And so, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was hard to even tell it was a C, honestly. Uh, but, yeah, the no-fun league, that would not fly at all. Uh but Kapler said, like, look, this is a time of year that's very stressful. And the Giants were still in the midst of that really long stretch of games without a day off. Something like that is such a, you know, it's a little boost. It's fun. You know, it reminds you, okay, this is, it's September. We are neck and neck with the Dodgers. It's tight. Every, there's a ton of pressure. But it's a game, and we can still have fun, and we can laugh. Uh, and that absolutely did. It low, kind of lowered the temperature. Uh, like, I don't think there was anybody that, didn't, that wasn't in the clubhouse that was not laughing a ton about it, especially with all of Belt's postgame interviews that were so just completely straight-faced um, and talking about his, you know, <laughs> he had like, well, you know, when you're the alpha, you just, you know, you just decide, and that's it. <laughs> and everybody follows you. Oh, uh, it was crazy funny. It was. Now, at the top, you mentioned about Posey being uh, such a great catcher, uh, you know, among the best that you've seen or the best. Uh, the plan for him really worked. And I, I wondered early on if it was going to because he actually right away showed that he was healthy. He was going to have a productive season. And, I, you know, I just selfishly wanted to see him out there. wanted to see him maybe yeah. at first base when he wasn't catching. But this plan, they have stayed with it all throughout the year where he's not going to play, you know, more than maybe three or four games in a week, and it has worked out. Why do you think it has? Yeah, I commend them for sticking to that plan because it, it would have been easy to be tempted to go away from it. Um, you know, here's a guy who took off last season, you know, for personal reasons, uh, you know, not wanting to put small, tiny children at risk, which I also very commendable. Um, it obviously helped him physically, but he did not play last year. So, you got to be careful with a catcher. You got to be careful with a catcher who's had hip surgery. You got to be careful with a guy who did not play last year. So those things factored. But also, the one thing that everyone kept stressing, um, and again, I was coming in cold on the Giants this year, but before the season, everyone kept saying, Buster is going to make such a huge difference with the pitching staff. They weren't looking at this from an offensive standpoint. Um, what the work he does with the pitchers is extraordinary. And that is absolutely true. Um, and again, you talk about the, the Giants and their little combo things being ex- amazing. You look at the Posey, Kurt Casale tandem, and that's by far the best in baseball. It's outrageous. Anyway, so uh, the fact that Casale has been so good certainly helps. Mm-hmm. But they need Posey catching. They want him in the lineup catching because his value is equally working with the pitchers as it is hitting. And he's on board with it. And I, you know, I have to give him credit for that too. There are some players who would go like, well, now I'm not even qualified for the batting title. You know, I'm having this great year and I'm not going to qualify. 
absolutely selfless. He's like, this works. Uh, he knows it's benefiting him physically. I talked to him when he had that little funk toward the end of August and he, you know, he hadn't hit much for a week or two. And he said, physically, you know, he was feeling fatigued like everybody, but it wasn't as much as you might normally expect for that time of year. And he and Crawford are two players who have, you know, had long careers, but they've had some years where they've clearly worn down at the end of the season. He's like, ah, this is basically, this is not that, you know, it's normal fatigue and the bat's going to come around. And it <laughs> obviously he's, he's back looking uh, completely great. But even when he's not swinging the bat well, I'm telling you, the work behind the plate is just uh, extraordinary. Yeah, and they have really needed that because it's been very interesting when you think about the pitching. They got off to such a great start with the rotation. I mean, Gosman was looking like he might start the All-Star game, and Di Sclafani should have been on the All-Star team. And then eventually have Logan Webb turning into a dominant starter, really one of the best in the National League in the second half of the year. Alex Wood being on the COVID IL is really thrown them into a tizzy as far as what do we do without him and Johnny Cueto, but they've had these bullpen games that that they work out. I, I don't know how those work out because usually you think you might get away with it a couple of times and then it, it wouldn't work out and you'd bring up a starter maybe from the minor leagues, but uh, they seem to have the magic uh, when it comes to you know figuring out what they're going to do, uh, whether it be starters or relievers who are starting games. Yeah, until the Wednesday game against the Padres, uh, the bullpen thing had worked out. You know, they'd had one or two sort of previous in the season kind of wonky bullpen games, which everybody does. It's you know, if you have one or two guys that just isn't on their their game, it's especially early, it can it can go south. But um, they put up three excellent bullpen games in a row, which is really hard. It's really hard. Uh, You know, you need six, seven, eight guys all really pitching well. Now. From the flip side, from the other team's side, it's bullpen games are hard too. You know, hitters are never seeing a pitcher more than once. Um, you know, they're seeing a lot of different looks. It's hard to prepare prepare for. Um, you know, you have to use your bench very differently. Yeah, uh, it's it is tough. It presents it does present problems, and there are good strategic reasons for doing it. But you don't want to have to do it twice a week the way the Giants have had to do it. Um, so yeah, Alex would put them in a spot. Um, that's uh, not good. Um, uh, look, it's his right to medical privacy that he's not telling us his vaccination status. And I really don't want to speculate because that's not fair. But him getting COVID at this time of year is sort of every team's worst nightmare. Look what the COVID has done to the Red Sox. I mean, it decimated them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's potentially putting teammates at risk, uh, potentially putting games at risk. And the Giants have had to use this bullpen game because he and Cueto are out. And Cueto, obviously, that's a an elbow injury. Um, and I'm not trying to say that this is good or bad from a physical sense, sense, you know, people get sick a hundred percent, but if this was something that was avoidable with a vaccination, um, it's, it's not great. And I do have to wonder some, how some of the other giants view that. Um, it's not, it's not ideal. It put them in a little bit of a corner that said, Alex Wood has been so important for this team this year. I mean, you look at the, what he's done as a stopper, after Giants losses, the team yeah. is eleven and one oh. in his starts. That is um, that is a gutty pitcher. That is very gutty. So um, whatever happened with that, he has been a major major factor for this team in a very good way. The timing on this was not great, and it's put them in a little bit of a bind. He's kind of lucky, and the team has been kind of lucky that those bullpen games have gone by and large really, really well, and far more so than they really should have. 
Yeah, I mean, these relievers are workhorses. There's no doubt about that. I and mean, they deserve a lot of credit. And then if you think about the end of the game, you go back early in the season, and there wasn't a lot of faith, I don't think, from fans. Uh, I mean, I think Gabe Kapler had the faith, but I don't think fans, uh, even media, were thinking that Rodgers and McGee would be able to close out many games. But those guys have stepped it up, and it's so unusual, Susan, to have you know a guy like Rodgers who's throwing the submarine style, and then a guy like McGee who really – features a fastball and that's it. I mean, he rarely throws anything else, but it is a 96 mile an hour fastball. How do you think those guys have been able to figure it out to be so consistent? Well, I, you know, I love that. I love having two back end guys that are so wildly different. The A's used to do that back in the Moneyball days with Chad Bradford and guys like, you know, Jason Isringhausen, like completely different looks, hard throwers. And then like the, you know, knuckle dragger, practically side armors. I mean, it's, it's uh, it's such an extreme delivery uh and he's good i honestly i have no idea how guys throw strikes from from (laughs) that angle um and he's good he's really good and you know if even if guys make decent contact most of the time they're going to hit it on the ground so that's fantastic for a guy and you can bring him in you know with guys on base because he's an asset there too i just i love absolutely love extreme side armors you know down under guys um and Jake McGee is just a solid, you know, he still throws hard. He's only really going to throw you fastballs. You know what's coming, but he's smart. He throws strikes. All of these Giants relievers throw strikes. That is the absolute number one thing that jumps out when you look at them. They're not going to walk a lot of guys. Uh, in the Wednesday game against the Padres, the, the real killer was Jose Quintana walking a pinch hitter with two outs before a home run. That's, that's the stuff that'll get you. They just don't walk guys. So um, a real plus. But those two, they've, you know, they, they, like everybody else in that bullpen, they seem like they just have ice in their veins, just <laughs> cool, calm, collected. And uh, bad games roll off them really quickly. And I think one real key for Tyler Rogers was uh, L.A. series earlier in this year at L.A. Tyler Rogers has a spectacular blown save, really, really, you know, bad. And uh, fans getting on Kapler, fans getting on him. Kapler the next night went back to him in basically exactly the same situation. He nails down the save. He has been lights out ever since. He said after that game in L.A., the second one, he said that, you know, the confidence that he showed in me immediately, like, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And look what it did. And I think that shows Gabe Kapler's maturation as a manager because when he was in Philly, uh, bullpen management was really, I think, the thing that he was criticized most for. That drives me nuts because that's the easiest thing to criticize a manager for. You know, you can drop the best game plan for your bullpen uh, possible, and it's just an inexact science. Guys are, you know, they're human. They're going to give it up, and it's always magnified when it's a bullpen. But, uh, you know, it the kind of arguments there were that he didn't really have a feel. He didn't necessarily communicate all that well. He would yank guys too quickly, and it was costing him confidence. It's been the opposite with the Giants, 100%. He is, you know, he will go out to a starter, um, look like he's going to take him out, talk to him, leave him in. He's done that a couple of times with Cueto, and Cueto had said basically like, yeah, man, that's basically what I want, you know, go leave me in there. Uh, that kind of stuff. It's not what I expected. It's not his reputation, and I think that's gone a long way. And Tyler Rogers for me, is probably the poster boy of it. Seems like it's a credit to Kapler and – it's a credit to veteran players on the Giants, the way that this relationship has evolved, because 
you think about players, not just pitchers, players getting pulled in the middle of a game for a pinch hitter. You know, you could be two for three in the game and it doesn't matter. You're getting pulled because we're going with this matchup. That doesn't work with a lot of people, but it does with the Giants. Who do you give the most credit to there? I think the play, well, maybe the front office for bringing in guys they knew would handle things like that. Although you wouldn't, like, I don't know how they would have known that Lamont Wade was. So Lamont Wade, when he comes out of the game, shakes Kapler's hand. And I don't know if you've noticed when, you know, somebody pinch hits for Lamont Wade, like he is the first guy out on the field if they do anything. You know, he is hugging guys. Um, when Tommy Listella and Donovan Solano replace each other in games, they hug. Uh, it's, it's really pretty, it's, it's, it is unusual. You're right. To me, the even more unusual thing is the Giants' success with pinch hitting. Pinch hitting is hard. Um, You know, there are a couple really, really uh, specialized jobs in baseball, and none of them are really easy. But pinch hitting for me is really – this is the one thing where you even hear veteran players who have done it for a long time saying pinch hitting is one of the toughest things you can do in the sport. You're coming off cold. You haven't seen any pitches. You're probably in a big situation. You know, obviously you're there to come through for some reason. It's, it's tough. Uh, young players typically struggle with it. Look at the Giants. Like they've got all, a lot of these guys are pretty young and they're, they're, they've got 15 pinch hit home runs. It's a franchise record. Uh, they might close in on the, the all time major league record. It's, it's really, uh, it's something because pinch hitting is, you know, it's a, it's a, an art and, you guys have it. Yeah, and the power of this team really has been a, a surprise all year. All right, to finish up, Susan, I, I wanted to talk about your career and your transition. I mean, you think about two decades covering the A's, over two decades, and you authored two books about the A's. You were an A's person. You come over to the Giants. Henry Shulman you know, had those big shoes to fill uh, after being the Giants beat reporter for so long, and you're covering a team during a pandemic. Tell us a little bit about just the whole challenge of it, you know, access and all that uh, when you come over to the Giants. Yeah, that's probably the toughest part was taking over a team during the Zoom era. You know, spring training, we it, everything was on Zoom still. Uh, at least starting in about May, we could start talking to people on the field. But, you know, just Zoom during spring training, there's still guys I feel like I, I have not really gotten to know. You know, we're not in the clubhouse before games. There's no chit-chatting, which is it's really kind of how you get to know guys. Uh, you know, it's, it's mostly groups, even pregame. Um, so, you know, I've had a few one-on-ones with guys here and there. And it's, I mean, it's a fantastic team and the, uh, you know, I, I can't complain the access is the same for everybody. It's just, it's just not, um, you know, it's not ideal for getting to know a bunch of guys that you're covering. I, Tommy Lastella and I laughed because I covered him with two different teams and I didn't even meet him in person until like July, whenever it was, he came off the, the IL because everything had been Zoom before he got hurt. Obviously, last year with the A's, everything was Zoom. So he was like, hey, finally, you exist. So, um, yeah, it's it's a challenge. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I've I've covered plenty of baseball in my life and uh, plenty of very good teams and high-profile teams. So um, I'm very comfortable with with covering baseball. Um, But certainly the Giants beat at the San Francisco Chronicle is something that's, uh, you know, it's a storied beat. They're Hall of Famers that have covered the Giants as a beat, uh, including at the Chronicle. So, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I cannot complain. And, uh, to get a season like this, wow. I mean, I, I wouldn't have expected this. I think my expectations for the Giants were a little better than most. Um, 
I, you know, and I thought maybe I was even going out on a limb. I kept telling everybody, I think maybe 87 wins, and they passed that a long time ago. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I got really, really lucky with this season. And, you know, the interest level is just huge. It's, it's so fun. I'm also curious about the strides that you think female reporters have made from when you first started. I mean, you were the first woman to serve as president of the Baseball Writers Association. And I'm just curious if you could think back the very first time that you stepped into a clubhouse and how intimidating maybe that could have been back then and and the strides that have been made for women covering sports. Yeah, you know, I, I really don't think it's that much of an issue anymore. There, there's sort of isolated incidents here and there. And I, I mean, there's the, the bigger issue currently is one that sort of is throughout society with sort of sexual harassment issues that have gone on. Um, and that's gone on for too long. Um, but uh, in terms of surely covering the sport, you know, I covered college sports throughout college and did um, radio play-by-play and worked for the paper and all of that. So I've covered plenty of sports and was very comfortable doing so. Um, but when I first started, I was lucky to, you know, I, I was at the Sacramento Bee at my first, my first newspaper job, professional newspaper job. And the Bay area has had a long history of women covering sports. I mean, before I was there, Stephanie Salter, Joan Ryan, Susan Fornoff, there were a lot of women in the Bay area. I don't think anybody like really did any double takes or anything. The only thing I can honestly remember that was ever even remotely an issue was when I was covering UC Davis and they'd never had a woman cover them before. And they decided to move all of the uh, interviews out of the locker room and into the hallway. Um, but they did that for everybody. So, you know, whatever. And I, I get it. There's some like 18 year olds in, the, in there and stuff. and that, That's fine. I have no idea how they do it now, but that, that was literally it. I've never really had a problem. The players I've had problems with have been players that everyone's had problems with. Um, you know, you, you don't like to think that maybe it is a gender related, but, um, you know, I, I probably have had a couple here and there, but just not nothing that would, uh, certainly nothing that ever, uh, uh, affected me or, uh, impeded my ability to work, which is the main thing. Do you take some pride in the fact that, you know, there are more doors opening because of women like you? I mean, the success that you've had and, you know, now you see there are more women announcers, which maybe would have been something you might have tried. Like you said, you did play by play uh, when you were in college, even in high school. I saw that you did that, yeah. which I did yeah. that as well, which is amazing when you think about a high school and doing play by play. But you you open the doors for some women out there. Do you take some pride in that? Oh, you know, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm all in favor of, um, you know, a diverse workforce everywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I'm serving as any sort of inspiration for anybody, fantastic. I love that. You know, that's, that's just gravy if that's the case. Um, I'm, I'm really kind of just like a keep my head down and do my job sort of person. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love the fact the thing that some of the things that have really, I think made a difference is, um, a lot of the newer online outlets, um, and uh, things like MLB.com, the athletic, they have really strived to have diverse, um, representation among their employees. And that that's really helped. MLB.com and their internship program, I think, has probably done more to get women into baseball writing than just about anything. So really, you know, <laughs> we like to bag, bag on MLB a lot. But uh, in this case, I think they really, um, you know, that's something they said they were going to do, and they really did. And that's meant a lot. Some of the best um, women who are writing about baseball came through that program. So uh, that's probably done the most, but yeah, I, I mean, I guess every, everybody that opened a door before them helped in some way. 
Well, Susan, you've always done a great job, and you're just doing such a fantastic job covering the Giants. I really appreciate your time. A morning after a four-hour game to come on and join me on this podcast (laughs) is really, really appreciated. Thank you very much, and good luck the rest of the season. Oh, my pleasure. It was fun. That's Giants beat reporter Susan Slosser from the San Francisco Chronicle. George Contos will be back next week here on Inside China Basin. For now, I'm Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.